today we're going to continue we're, uh, or this idea of the lifestyle of Jesus. We said if we want to have a life like Jesus, you have to live the lifestyle of Jesus. And it goes all the way back to this idea of what do I actually want? Who do I actually want to be? What do I, what do I hope my life looks like? And the best answer we could come up with is look like Jesus. And so to have the life of Jesus, we have to live out the lifestyle of Jesus. There's things we make decisions about and engage in. And so we've been talking, the main thing we've been talking about for weeks now is prayer in the lifestyle of Jesus. And we've been doing it a long time, but it's a massive topic. And we've been doing it through these categories that Pete Gregg came up with of that prayer. If you look at the Lord's Prayer, it's almost like this arc of prayer where he starts before the prayer, just kind of gathering yourself before the Lord in a pause and then then saying, Father, hallowed be your name. You're the best thing going. I, I need you and I'm into you. Rejoicing and then asking, which is the thing we're most familiar with, I think, when we talk about prayer is asking God for things. And he loves to be asked for things. He loves to be asked for things. But what sets us up well is this pausing and rejoicing. What we're going to start to talk about today is then how we yield. We've asked but then there's this kind of yield moment that is a way of praying. And it doesn't always have to be in this sequence or anything like that. But it's really helpful. And, it, and it, it's, it's really keyed off of this moment in Jesus' prayer that he taught his disciples. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Seth... You're going to talk like on the front end of what, what, what does that kind of mean with the whole your will be done? How does that fit into prayer? Yeah, so we're, we're just going to talk this morning about what yieldedness is and what it looks like. And one of the reasons why um, it's so important for us to talk about ending our prayer in, a, in the practice of yielding is because yielding is not just an aspect of prayer. It's really the essence of this life of following Jesus, of increasingly yielding every aspect of who we are, every aspect of what we do and how we live to the Lordship of Jesus. And so over the last year or so, some of you might remember starting uh, in at the beginning of COVID when we were in lockdown, we started this In the Wilderness series, and we talked about how in the wilderness Jesus is teaching us how to listen, trust, and obey. And that's really become kind of common language for us over the last year and a half of just explaining uh, the way that we live, just like Tim was kind of talking about increasing our attachment to the Lord, of just seeking to be in tune with what he's doing and walking in step with him. It's just kind of this simple practice of listening, trusting, and obeying, and that is what we mean when we talk about yielding to the Lord. And What's really beautiful about this is that this is really just the heart of what God wants from us overall. This is what pleases him most. This is, if you will, kind of a three-word summary of what the Christian life is. And I, I want to just highlight this through a few passages from John's Gospel where he ties these ideas together in, in John 5, 24. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. That's how the Christian life starts. Hearing the word, listening, and believing it, and entrusting ourselves to the one whose voice we're hearing. So the Christian life starts with listening, trusting, and then notice how 
This is connected in John's words in John 3.36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, like we just heard. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. In other words, you can't separate belief or trust from obedience. They're synonymous. To truly trust Jesus, that trust has to express itself in obedience, which is why Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so when we say listen, trust, and obey... We're not really talking about three separate things. We're talking about the movements of just the essence of the Christian life. This is how the Christian life starts, and it just doesn't really progress anywhere from there except going deeper into it. We come in through hearing the word, the good news about Jesus, entrusting ourselves to him, and then beginning to live lives of obedience, and that's what we just keep doing over and over again, listening to his voice, trusting who he is enough then to express that trust through obedience. And so what's really essential for us to grasp about this, about this lifestyle of listening, trusting, and obeying, is that this isn't just something that Jesus asks of us. It's something that he modeled for us and wants to share with us. This is a description of the life that Jesus lived and that he wants to live in and through us. And so what I'm going to do is just run through some passages from the Gospel of John that highlight this. And it, it, this is really one of the core themes of John's Gospel. It was one of the most important things that he wanted to highlight. It's also really apparent in the other Gospels, and the other three Gospels, kind of in the bookends. We see this listen, trust, and obey, this yieldedness thing on the front end of Jesus' ministry in the other Gospels went through his submission to baptism and his temptation in the wilderness. And we see it on the back end in his prayer in Gethsemane and his submission to the cross. But John highlights the way that this is the central thread of Jesus' life all the way through. I'm just going to read some of these passages out loud. These are all the words of Jesus. He said, I have food to eat that you do not know about which is an allusion to manna. That's the word picture he's getting, this daily food from heaven. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. That's Jesus' sustenance, is to obey the Father. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Son does, that the Son does likewise. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And he keeps going. He says, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. He says, I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And, and he just keeps talking about it. He says, for I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. That's just a sample of Jesus' repeated emphasis of the way he lived his life on earth, fully submitted to the Father, listening constantly 
for his whisperings, paying constant attention to his inner promptings through the Spirit, and then living a life of such radical trust that he would just do whatever the Father was doing, say whatever it was that the Father was compelling him to say. And again, I'm going to come back to what where we started, that Jesus also showed us all throughout the Gospel of John that this is the life he intends for us to live. It's the kind of life that he was inviting us into, which is why he says that we're going to live the same exact way. In John 15, Jesus said this, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Remember, he has said just a moment ago, I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. And now I want you to be in me and I'm going to be in you. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The exact same language he used of himself. He said, I can't do anything apart from my Father and you can't do anything apart from me. As the Father has loved me so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus wants to confront our idea that yielding, surrendering, and obeying is the bad news of the Christian life. Submission to the Father's will was Jesus' joy. It was his food, his delight, his sustenance, and he wants it to be ours, which is why he goes on to say this. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. Do you see this progression? Jesus didn't speak on his own authority. He spoke what the Father told him to do, and now he says that the spirit will come, and the spirit won't even speak on his own authority. He's going to be speaking whatever Jesus is speaking. And he says, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me just as I glorified the Father, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you or share it with you. Speak it to you so that it can be yours. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. I just want to unpack that real, real briefly. Jesus is saying, the life you saw me live, I'm going to reproduce in you through the Spirit as you learn to live this same way, listening to my voice through the Spirit, choosing again and again to renew your trust in me, which is to entrust ourselves to him, and then to just obey, to simply put what I'm saying to you into practice. And... What is so beautiful about this is that this isn't just the life that Jesus lived on earth as a man. This is the life that Jesus has been eternally living with God the Father as the Son. Receiving all that He is from the Father and yielding in joyful submission to the Father's goodwill, and giving that love back to the Father, has always been the Son's delight. It's always been the way that He's lived. And one of my favorite theologians 
Michael Reeves draws this out beautifully, specifically connected to prayer. He says, Jesus' prayers are not just significant because he's praying on earth as the model human. No, he's also showing us who eternally he is. John tells us very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. The Son always depends on the Father. That is who he eternally is. For him, everything flows from his communion with the Father. And so for eternity, he has enjoyed communion with him, and he has, in a sense, prayed to him. The Son, then, is the first prayer. And the salvation he brings, listen to this, the salvation he brings is a sharing of his own communion with his Father. Prayer is learning to enjoy what Jesus has always enjoyed. I'm going to share a few more words from this guy to just drive this in. The Son's very identity is found in this, that He is the beloved of the Father, just that, like we were singing this morning. We were singing out of what we've received from Jesus that we can now call Him Father. All that He does flows from that identity. He does not act out of guilt, neediness, or a desire to curry favor with His Father or anyone else. That's not the motivation that Jesus' obedience comes from. For eternity, his father showered him with so much love that he overflows. He cannot but love his father back and long to please him. Being the son of so perfectly kind a father, it is meat and drink for him to do his father's will. That is the life of the son of God, and that is the life we are drawn into. We are united to the son so we can enter into his life, our joys, our prayers, our mission, our holiness, our suffering, our hope, all are a participation in the life of the Son. That's what the Apostle Peter was getting at when he says that we've become partakers of the divine nature. We have not just been forgiven and declared righteous in the divine courtroom by God the Judge. That has happened, but it's happened so that we could be brought into union with the Son and participate through the Spirit in His communion with the Father so that we could live as children of God in the same way that Jesus did and increasingly learn how to live that life. That is the good news. That's the salvation that we've been brought into. Isn't that good news? All of a sudden, when, when seen through that lens, obedience, which I don't know about any of the rest of you, but growing up, obedience was one of my least favorite words in the English lexicon. But do you see how Jesus changes it to be the highest good that any of us could possibly attain in our lives? Obedience to this loving Father who is revealed in Jesus that's some powerful stuff. Can you feel the, I just feel the presence of Jesus on that. I can feel the joy of Jesus on it. And the way I like to think about it and frame this whole idea of obedience, it, it's, it's not because God's like this insecure, you know, dictator. He's like, I need people to do what I say. So I'll talk them into it through this religion thing and scare them into it. It's no, when we go out on our own, it doesn't turn out so well, right? Doing earth on our own uh, without outside of the bounds of the way God has made it to be. You know, it's like, it's like using a hammer for a toothbrush, right? Yeah, or sticking a fork in your eye. It's like a fork can go in your eye. It can. 
but you know, do you really want to do that? But our obedience is to say, I bet that fork. Oh, Father wants me to use it in food? This is working out, man. Does that make sense? So Jesus is reordering, allowing us to reorder life from the brokenness and craziness we live in into true wholeness. Did you know wholeness and holiness are almost synonymous? Our holiness, as he makes us holy, he's making us whole. So that holiness is a blazing, attractive, beautiful thing. I don't want to sin because sin is sticking a fork in my eye. So, so Jesus' life is this life of uh, uh, this yielding. It, it, we're talking about this prayer that it's like Jesus activating prayer of going from listen to trust to obey. So let's just do that, right? Easy. What's the big deal? <laughs> I, I said it was really joyful and delightful. I didn't say it was easy. Oh, my bad. We should have talked before this. <laughs> yeah, it, it's not. It's not easy. As if you're following Jesus, you realize this is this is not so easy. Here's the good news: it was not easy for Jesus either. Let's read this passage. So Jesus is at the end of his journey on Earth. He's been doing his whole thing with, he's got his disciples, but he's been ticking some people off over time. And they're like, yeah, this guy's got to go. This Jesus guy is a mess. He's messing everything up. And he is. He is. So just before Jesus is going to go to the cross, he has this moment in the Garden of Gethsemane where he's with his buddies, the guys he trusts, and he's praying. Read it from Mark. It says, they, meaning Jesus and his guys, Went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said. Everything's possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Can you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more he went away and and prayed the same thing. And when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered in the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. So, we look at what's going on with Jesus in this garden moment, and we look at it with this, this arc of his life of wanting to listen to the Father. We've already seen he's been doing that, to trust the Father and obey the Father. He's been doing this his whole life, right? We can see at this point, we know that Jesus had already listened to the Father. How do we know that? Because he told his disciples repeatedly, I'm going to Jerusalem, they're going to kill me, and then I'm going to come back from the dead. He says this over and over again to them. He knows why he's here. He knows what's about to happen. Listening 
happened. But in this moment, Jesus isn't ready to obey. He is struggling in his trust. Think about that. I hope that comforts some of you guys. So what, how did Jesus get from trust to obey? What did he do? Well, it's something that we can call the prayer of relinquishment. Richard, this is what Richard Foster calls this. This is a way of yielding to God that got him from trust to obey. And here's what it looked like. Jesus had already heard the Father. He'd already listened. But when it came to this trust piece, the first thing he did was he struggled with his Father. How many times did Jesus pray and go back to his guys? Three, yeah. Three. I mean, three times the Son of God in eternal communion with the Father has to go back because I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. Did you know Jesus had his own will? Has his own will. He can make his own decisions. He's not just robot Jesus who does whatever the Father wants. Like us, he's given his own will and he's having to make a decision. Do I want to trust God enough to do what he's asking me to do? So here's the great news. Is it's okay to struggle with God. If we want the life of Jesus, his lifestyle means at some points we are going to struggle to trust God. Is everybody feeling good? Jesus himself said, Father, take this cup away. The very reason I'm here, the thing I've been telling everybody I'm ready to do. No, thank you. But not only does he struggle with his father, but then he, you watch, he, he leans back on his history of trust with his father. He's using these familiar terms. Abba, dad, 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 come on, dad. But think about how many times up to this moment, Jesus has been in this very spot. Where the father asked him to do some crazy stuff. Right? Can you think Jesus, you know, at the advent of his ministry, sitting in the synagogue, and he's like, Jesus, go read the Isaiah scroll. Okay, cool. This is going to go well. Read, read that passage, Isaiah 61. Okay, cool. Tell them that's you. Wait, what? I'm not sure how well that's going to go. Yeah, it's cool. Tell them it's you. This is me. And then tell them that their own people don't re, 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 won't, won't receive him. Instead, it will probably be Gentiles. I think they might want to throw me off a cliff. Yeah, they might. Go ahead. And he does it. And they take him to throw him off a cliff. But once they get to the cliff, he just kind of stops and walks away. We don't know how it happened. It just did. How about, how about he's in front of a thousand people? No, actually, 5,000 people. And the father's like, hey, you want to feed these guys? What? What would you say? 
So your disciples are about to show up. They're going to feed these guys. They're going to say, what? Just break the slope. Just start going. Trust me. What? <laughs> okay. Jesus had this history of trust with his father, of risking himself. Hey, Jesus, stand up and yell at the waves and the wind in the boat. Just tell them to be quiet. Seriously? Well, the next thing I'm going to ask you to do is a little weirder. You're going to be walking on this thing. You're like, what? You serious? He's had this history of trust. So he leans back into this history of trust enough to then say this, not what I will, but what you will. Now think about this, guys. He's saying, he, I, there's no indication that where Jesus was that, he was like, ah, because if he did this, apparently he would have gotten blood on his hands. The stress was so high that it was bursting capillaries in his skin. I, I don't know if Jesus all of a sudden felt good about relinquishing his will, but he chose to do it. Does that make sense? So he struggled with his father. He leaned back, but oh, father, I know you've done this before, so... I relinquish the outcome of my life to your trust. And then, now he's ready to obey. They're here. Let's do this. I'm going to do it scared. This is the life of Jesus. The prayer of relinquishment. The yielding prayer. So, so this is just, you know, this idea of yielding in prayers listening, trusting, and obeying, it isn't always easy. There's some of these that are easy, right? Like it's like Jesus wants me to give my chocolate ice cream cone because there's a piece of pie here, right? You know, it's easier to relinquish that ice cream cone at the moment when you can see, oh, there's a pie right here. <laughs> but some of these are not so easy. How do we do it? We listen we hear what God is saying. We're going to talk actually more about that actually next Sunday. But in our trust, we can pray this prayer of relinquishment that looks like simply struggling with God, leaning into the history of our history of trust with God, and then relinquishing our will. And I said that fast. That's not necessarily fast. Okay? Some things we get, we get practiced at it. And are easier to do, some things are not. And then we get ready to obey. But here's what we're going to do this week. We're going to practice. Because, listen, listen. We're not going to get good at this in the big decisions until we're practicing it in the little ones. This is what we mean by spiritual disciplines. It's what we mean by living the lifestyle of Jesus. We, like Jesus, have our own wills. And God is not just going to magically go, and we're all of a sudden robots, and just make the right decision, and it's always easy to make the right decision. It, it, it's, it's just, that's not what Jesus did. Instead, by a choice, he trained his will to say yes to God. But think about it. This is what love is. Does that make sense? Is someone... Who has to tell you they love you actually loving you? You're just saying that because you have to. But when you know, when you know by a choice I'm choosing to, 
to do what you're hoping for. That's love. That's why Jesus doesn't say, he's not trying to make a hard time. He's like, no, I'm trying to teach you how to love. If you want to love me, obey what I say. Because it's you conforming your yes to me. And you're showing me, oh my goodness, you're doing that for me? I love you too. So this today is my wife's 50th birthday. She is, she is my rock, and I'm grateful for you, honey. But she uh, isn't afraid to let her wishes be known. Earlier in the week, she let her wishes be known. It, you know, I was like, I've got the tip, maybe a typical male vision of celebrations. So like, I got you a card. You know I mean, like, what? I'm sorry, I'm disappointing people all over the place. You know, I know. But, you know, honey, it'd be really cool if it would appear that you liked me <laughs> by the end of this week. And not because you have to. But listen, when I first heard that, I was like, man, is this another assignment? Sorry. I mean, she she knew this. You know, I we speak very openly, sometimes to my great demise. But But here's what I did. Yes, Jesus. Thanks, June. <laughs> <laughs> I love you. She's like about to punch her phone. Like, nah. I decided I'm going to do this. And guess what? I had a ton of fun. Here's why. I got to see my wife's delight when I just got a little gift. And she was like, ah, thank you. And then another little gift. And, ah, thank you. You're doing so good, Kyle. I'm like, I am. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I did pretty okay this week, I think. It, it, but it was the picture of this whole thing. It was a delightful week. It was a delightful week, but we have to practice. We're married almost 27 years. I've been practicing this for a little while. It starts with taking out the garbage. It starts with, uh, okay, I'll cook this dinner. She's going to be home late from work. I gotcha. Right? It, that, that relinquishment can take on some very, very, usually it does, very, very plain everyday forms. Does that make sense? But here's what's beautiful. Is God's okay if we struggle? We are going to. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Yowza. I can get to about 10%, and then I'm like, I'm tapped out, I think. I'm, 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 I'm trying, but I'm tapped out. I got a lot of growth here. But as we practice, we start to experience the presence of the Lord strengthening us in the minute, in the moment. And then also we get to go, you know what? I did that. I didn't want to, and it was awesome. Anybody experienced this before? Something you didn't think you wanted to do when you went through, you realized this was the best thing I ever could have done the whole time. Maybe I'm not as smart as I thought I was. Maybe Jesus knows how to live my life better than I do. Doesn't this sound awesome? So this is what we're going to do. This week we're going to practice relinquishing. I promise you, you don't even have to plan for it. It's just going to happen. I'll, I'll put it back on that screen here. It, it, it'll, it'll happen just because I said it. Sorry. It's going to happen, not because I'm powerful, but because you live on earth. 
This is going to happen at work. This is going to happen at home. Now, some of you guys, and I want to take the, I'll take you very, very seriously. Some of you are in excruciating moments. I, I know of a family not in our community, but outside of our community that is in a do not resuscitate situation with a dad who's only 59 years old. I had my own situation where, you know, words is my trade. You know, I'm pretty good with doing stuff with words, but I had, a, I had some people who were convinced that I had lied to them. And the more I tried to fix it with my words, the bigger a hole it became. This is where I learned to pray the prayer of relinquishment. I can't fix this. How can I talk these people into the... I'm telling the truth. And I still remember being by my bedside, lights out, not able to sleep. And the Lord brought me to uh, this book, Prayer, Chapter 5, The Prayer of Relinquishment. You'll, you'll notice a lot of what I'm saying came straight out of this from Richard Foster's book, Prayer. I'm just reading that it's okay to struggle with God through this. Why? Because Jesus did. But I, at some point, the, the picture Richard gives is, you guys, you, those will date me, but you remember those Nestle commercials? Old people in the room. There's this, there used to be this commercial where this guy would fall backwards into a pool and it was, ah, and that was how good nest tea was when you drank it. It was like falling into a pool when you're covered in sweat. You just fall back. But that's a picture of relinquishment. It's actually the joy of letting go of control of the world and trusting God. I can tell you in my situation, uh, one of the people in it, two years later, came to me and said, I am so sorry. I realized you were you were telling the truth. One's still waiting. And I'm still relinquishing control. <laughs> and what's so cool is Father will tell me to do stuff. You notice this? It's not just like nothing ever is going to happen. But it is the most powerful prayer. It's the prayer, if you will, that saved us. That Jesus relinquished his will to the Father means we can be saved. Make sense? Okay, let's stand together. I, I just wanted to, I, I just, as you were talking, I just wanted to reemphasize again that this is the door to liberation, to freedom. It sounds so counterintuitive, like Tim was saying this morning. Such a good word, Tim. Obedience is unto freedom. That sounds so counterintuitive, but there, there's no way to live in this life not submitted to some authority. We try to live submitted to our own authority. We find out eventually it's slavery and it's oppressive. And so then we, we turn to external voices and we try to live the way other people are telling us to live. And it's slavery and it's oppressive. And only submitting to the Father of Jesus Christ through the Spirit is unto true freedom. It's the only path to freedom, and it's joyful. It's agonizing, like Guile's been saying. We kind of got to do good cop, bad cop. I got to talk about the joy of relinquishment, and he was talking about the agony, but they're, they're together. That's why the writer of Hebrews said that Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. That's how we do it. But the same writer said a little bit later, he endured the cross. Why? For the joy that was set before him. And he says to you and to me, I say these things to you 
these hard things about learning how to relinquish your will and trust me and obey me so that my joy, the joy that I have in submitting to the Father may be in you and that your joy may be full. That's what he's inviting us into this week and next week and the week after, etc. Amen? Amen. So let me pray for you guys. Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for talking to us through your scriptures. Thank you for talking to us through our lives and through other people you put in our lives. Thank you that you are expressing your love to us through anything and everything that may happen in our lives, that you can work through that very thing to bring us into deeper trust, that we can actually entrust our lives to you, that even when things are so difficult, we're safe because you are you. So God, will you help us? Help us even recognize the moment, Lord, as little as it may be or maybe as big as it may be, that it's okay to struggle with you. It's okay to feel like I do not want to do this. You're totally good with that conversation, Jesus. You did it three times over at the very most important moment in human history. You're inviting us. It's okay to struggle. But Lord, will you then give us grace to lean back in the the places where we've seen, yeah, I did trust God for that. And he did take care of me. So that, Lord, we can relinquish our will and we can say, actually with some anticipation, that something good, I think something good's going to happen. Not my will, but yours, Father, because you are good. You are good. Through Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. So if, if anybody, if, it, if you've ever been in a position like, I don't, I, I don't even know if I've been following Jesus or wanting to do that, Seth and I are going to be up here. would love to talk with you about following Jesus and, and just start that journey with you. Guys, have a wonderful week. Enjoy yourselves. Stay cool. Love you.